What is going on, everybody? Hopefully, you guys are all doing well out there. Got another podcast here for you today. Now, another extended break on the show, but uh, had plenty uh, going on. Uh, but we won't get into that right now. I will say, if you enjoy breaks on the show, those are probably going to return. So we'll have a break or two in today's show. But uh, in terms of topics, what we're going to talk about is a little bit of check on my cards update. I'll give you an update on, on an account I started with 100 bucks. So I'll just give you an update on that. Are 1990s era cards about to explode? <laughs> so we'll talk about that in uh, 1990s era. I'm talking about uh, Barry Bonds, uh, Ken Griffey Jr., Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, Sammy Sosa, uh, you know, Nolan Ryan even. Although his career spanned many eras, uh, he was playing in the 90s. So we'll talk about that. Talk about those cards the types of cards during that era that I think could potentially go up. We'll talk about Top Series 1, not uh, in uh, specifically, but I saw a thread on Blowout's uh, forum that said, is baseball card booming? Or I think the guy said, baseball cards are booming. And uh, my question was, are baseball cards booming? And so that's a good question to ask, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about... A couple NFL guys that I think you could have on your radar because we're in the heart of basketball season. We're in the start of baseball season. So what should you be buying right now is NFL football cards because, uh, you know, the times I've done it, I can't say that I've done it very often, but the last time I did it, I bought Brandon Cooks before the season and he got a nice bump. I think he caught like a 60-yard pass or something like that in a preseason game. And his cards went up. And I think he was just traded to the Patriots. So I was trying to find the other card that I have of him laying around that I basically got for free. Because I bought two cards, I think, for 20. And I sold one for 25 or so. So I, I essentially netted a Brandon Cooks autograph for free. Or I'm playing with house money. And... Uh, you know, I was trying to find it, but I couldn't. I had obviously had moved uh, since uh, the last time I purchased that card, so I couldn't find it. But anyways, I've got a, three uh, football prospects in particular, uh, two that I've mentioned on this show. Uh, I, in fact, I've mentioned all three on the show, but uh, one I'm particularly high on, I'm definitely going to buy some of his cards. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about... That, that's a, we'll have some off topic, you know, we'll take a break or two and we'll come back with, we got to talk about making America great again. And I was at an estate sale, actually two in my neighborhood. So talk about that, like how you can like, you know, I know my brother's been having a couple podcasts where he's talking about uh, buying and selling um, stuff on eBay. So you're buying cards or you're buying a fig, you know, Chris Bryant bobbleheads and you're buying, uh, t-shirts and you're buying all kinds of wares and, and things, you know, I think at some point you might hit your head against the wall on that kind of stuff, or the profit margin might not, might be there, but it's like low. Um, and I think one way you could like supplement your income is definitely branching off into like estate sales, furniture, antiques, those types of things. And so I'll just give you um, a, a very amateurish 
uh, account of what I uh, what I went to in my neighborhood. But if you live in the right neighborhood, I think my point will be: if you live in the right neighborhood, estate sales or live in the right towns that have these kind of things, maybe flea markets. I think there's some potential there um, that you could bolt on to an existing eBay or or kind of a flipping kind of game that you might have, and it might open up some doors for you. Let's first talk about. We'll also talk a little bit about the NFL Draft Combine, and, uh, you know, we'll move on. We'll you'll talk about all kinds of things. Uh, so first things first, our baseball card's booming. And so I saw this thread on uh, blowout forums where I don't have it up right here in front of me, but essentially what they were talking about were, our baseball card's booming. You have um, a lot of high prices for for modern cards, but especially vintage cards as well. I think we we saw the first hundred thousand uh, dollar sale um, of a baseball vintage. I think it was a Roberto Clemente, uh, at least on an online auction. Uh, hundred thousand dollar cards, a uh, million dollar cards have sold at, in quote unquote private auctions or like the heritage auctions or things like that. That uh, that happen several times a year. Uh, we we saw our first six figure eBay auction essentially. Um, so. Baseball cards, I would definitely say the vintage card market has been booming, and whether or not it's peaked or um, or it's plateauing, uh, you know, I think all collectibles kind of go in and out of favor. I remember when when you know cars, '60s cars, Corvettes, and things like that were selling for ridiculous prices on these Bear Jackson auctions, and then the market kind of tumbled along with the housing market. How you know houses were were much more expensive and, and, you know, they took a dip and now they're kind of back where they were. We're, you know, uh, essentially we're back where we were, not necessarily with baseball cards, but in a lot of things like homes and, 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 and different kind of assets out there, we're kind of back where we were back in 2006 ish or in that kind of time frame. So, um, you know, car vintage cards that uh, have been appreciating, continue to appreciate appreciating and um you uh, it's on the high end it's on the bgs 9.5s psa 10s psa 9s in some cases obviously for the the really vintage cards and that kind of ties into the 90s era segment a little bit not to blow my wad on it so to speak but uh the 1990s era i think you're gonna see some price and there's already been price inflation i do monitor the prices of certain cards during that era and the price has gone up, but it's primarily on gem mint cards in that era, PSA 10, BGS 9.5. And the same is true for the vintage market. So the really high end, the, the creme de la creme, the, you know, the holy grail, I think is probably an even better way to put it, is what we all seek to, not necessarily we all seek as collectors, but... Uh, you know, it's always nice if you're opening a box and you pull the Holy Grail, obviously. You know, you're either going to cash it on eBay or have a great piece to show off or trade or whatever you want to do. If we're, we're a player collector, we're always searching for the, you know, whether or not we're searching for the Holy Grail, if we had the money to buy the Holy Grail, we would. If we had enough money to buy Hannes Wagner, we would. If we had enough money to buy the best Mickey Mantle, we would. If we had enough money to play around in these auctions, we would. And so that's what drives, that's what I've really seen. Um, re that's what really is booming, is the high-end creme de la creme, 
um, quite frankly, very wealthy people, I think, that are bored with real estate, bored with stocks, bored with, uh, you know, private equity investments and startups and all this stuff. They're bored with their third wife. They're bored with their kids. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. I'm generalizing, obviously, there. But you get the sense that after you've made some money, after you've done it and done it and done it, um, what, what do you seek at that point? I think a lot of people seek for connections back to the childhood, and I think uh, baseball cards um, certainly play bridge that gap. Um, and, and, you know, so many kids uh, in my age, my demographic, younger, a little bit older, obviously, collected baseball cards. Anybody that grew up in the 90s as a teenager or in that age range collected baseball cards. And so um, they're going back right now in big numbers, uh, and they're spending a lot of money on on vintage cards, but also, as, as I'll talk about later, this 90s era. So is baseball card booming? I'm not necessarily uh, going to jump on board with the entire industry. Are new cards booming? I don't know. I think we've seen other times uh, within the industry where the new sets, the new cards coming out or newer sets sold better, had more demand, were, were of higher quality, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I think Topps is doing a nice job. I think some of the stuff they're doing around Topps now, a lot of this direct-to-consumer stuff that they're starting, I think that's great. I think that's great for the company. I think that's great in general. That's where uh, e-commerce is going. Topps can't rely on the Targets and Walmarts to carry the, this stuff because, quite frankly, the Targets and Walmarts might not be around in five to ten years. And obviously, we've seen the you know perpetual decline of sports card shops around the around the nation, and so you can't rely on them as a distribution channel anymore. And so, Topps going direct to the consumer, I think, has helped them personally. Obviously, if you own a hobby shop or you're trying to sell online, it kind of hurts your game too. But um, you know, we'll see what happens. But baseball cards, I do believe, are booming. Um, in certain industries, certain segments of the market. Um, and I, 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 for the foreseeable future, I actually see that continuing. There's a lot of young stars in the MLB. You got Chris Bryant, Mike Trout, etc. The Giants have quite a few stars. Every team has a player or two uh, that I think fans are getting excited about. I think the only challenges around baseball is the, demo, the, the demographic of the fan, quite frankly. While that demographic typically has uh, extra income, I don't know how quickly that demographic is actually growing in the United States. So I see um, some limitations there. And that limits, limits the hobby as well. But uh, I think some of the interesting things I saw inside of the thread just off the top of my head is where some people were saying that because Topps is no longer making basketball cards or football cards just within the last year, they, they've stopped making football cards, that it took a lot of interest if you were a Topps guy. Now you're only spending your money on baseball. If you didn't like Ezekiel Elliott, and then Dak Prescott, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to get excited about in this NFL. You know, if, you, if you're buying into breaks and you didn't get the Cowboys, 
quite frankly, there wasn't a whole lot to get excited about on a regular basis. So I don't know how much money is getting spent there. Um, and basketball is is kind of the same way. It kind of ebbs and flows. You had the number one pick, Ben Simmons, not even play this year. Um, Joel Embiid from last year, I think, or the year before, um, looks like he was off to a great start and then got hurt himself and got put on the shelf. So basketball is really hit or miss. I know guys like Devin Booker come on and then, you know, Marquise Chris, who's probably the one basketball player, I've, one rookie I've seen this year that actually looks like he can play a little bit. Uh, aside from Ingram, I have seen Brandon, enough of Brandon Ingram's games to say he's a, he's a good – he will end up being a good player. I think if he works on his outside shot, he'll be a great player. But anyways, we always uh, digress into the Lakers. Um, my point was is you have collectors. There's only a certain amount of money there in, in, around for this, these new cards. And uh, uh, some guys on the, on the thread were basically drawing the conclusion that people are, are, are go- driving away from Panini. Their products aren't that good. It's a lot of low-quality stuff mixed in with some really expensive high-end stuff. And if you're not into that stuff, then you might be focusing more of your money, more of your attention on baseball altogether. So, or at least baseball hasn't seen the, the exit of collectors. And typically baseball just sustains collectors for longer periods of time because the, the athletes play well into their 30s uh, and, and, old, and, and sometimes their 40s. Whereas, you know, people, we've already talked on this show, like Stephen Curry's peaked and Ezekiel Elliott may have peaked already, you know. That might have been his bet, the best season. He might have good season. I, I, I don't doubt Ezekiel Elliott's going to have great seasons going forward, but in terms of interest and hype and collector interest, last year might be it. He might end up having a Hall of Fame career, but, you know, you don't see that, like, push and that jump uh, in, unless it's early on. Obviously... There are players out there that defy that. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, off the top of my head, Brett Favre to a certain degree. But very few running backs, Emmett Smith, Barry Sanders, that's about it. Walter Payton. So baseball cards, are they booming? I think so. I definitely think uh, vintage cards are booming. I definitely think some of the stuff Topps is doing with the direct-to-consumer, it's, it's probably making up for – it's not like booming their business – uh, although I did see that Tops paid a dividend. You're probably not going to hear this on, on a whole lot of shows. This was last year. This was sometime last year, but Tops did end up distributing money to shareholders. Um, so that is a sign that the, the company is, um, you know, br- you know, making a profit at least, or they're, they're pulling money off the top. And, uh, and, they, and I have seen a decent amount of innovation. I know they did appoint a CEO finally, and I think it's no... It's no you know, if you have a bad CEO, it, 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 it's good. it would have gotten worse at, at Tops, but obviously they, they put the right guys there. I think, some of the, again, some of the stuff they're doing with Tops now, uh, it, it's pretty cool, and I think it's working out for them. I'm going to transition into a Check Out My Cards update now. So we'll give a little update right now, and then we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about um, 90 cards eras getting a bump. Is that going to happen? So your stacks and stacks of 1992 tops sitting in the garage or sitting in the storage unit. 
maybe you should start dusting that off. We'll see. We'll talk about that. Um, and we'll talk about the NFL draft combine. We'll talk about three NFL prospects in particular, second-year guys in particular, that I think could see a sustained collectability in ten, year two, maybe a bump, some flyer guys. So we'll talk about that. But first, let's talk about check out my cards update. So I started this account uh, in July. Let me bring up my seller stats here. We'll talk about these first. So I started this account June 2015. So not quite two years old yet. Um, and when I first started this account, my strategy was buy any cheap card because I started with only $100 and only had $100 cash and no cards. And I, what I wanted to do was buy any cheap card I could and turn around and sell it as fast as I could. And so I remember there was like spring cleaning sales or there was a, I think there was a spring cleaning sale there right in June. And I was able to buy cards and just turn them over and make a penny or two pennies on each card. A lot of the times not making any more than a couple pennies on each card, but I was just flipping it up, trying to get a little more money. And I kept that strategy going uh, for a little while, for maybe about six, six, seven months. And then in February 2016, so about a year ago, I ran my first port sale. So what I wanted to do was flip the cards, flip the cards, flip the cards, and then build up a portfolio and then flip it. And so I ended up flipping my entire portfolio. I built it up from June 2015 to February 2016. I built up 982 cards and I sold it for $285. So in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight months, I almost tripled my money on check out my cards on $100. So that's pretty, it's pretty good, um, obviously. So then since then, my strategy has changed a little bit. Um, I've been trying to acquire more mid to high dollar cards. And then certainly I can't remember when check on my cards changed, you know, started lit cross listing cards onto eBay. That changed my strategy even more as I went to the cards priced over 75 cents. So they started selling on eBay. So um, I haven't had my account back up into the $285 range, but I've consistently sold between roughly $25 and $30 worth of cards all the way up into last month. I did run my first sale since a while. I haven't ran a sale in a while, um, but I decided to run a sale because I was running low on money and things were not, the velocity of my sales weren't increasing. So I decided to clear out some old inventory and bring in some new inventory. Um, so I sold $82 worth of cards last February, last month. And that was 177 cards. So I sold almost 200 cards for $82. So it boosted my cash balance up into the 80s. And so slowly but steadily since then, I've uh, spent the money. I'm down to now. I have $35 in this. And again, I started this account with 100 bucks. So to have $35 in cash, that's honestly actually really good. I have 1,400 cards, 1,441 cards in my total inventory. I only have about 1,100 listed. I got a lot of other stuff on there, um, stuff that I probably can't sell for a whole big profit. 
but I'm just kind of holding out, waiting out to see what happens. I might end up blowing it out in a port or blowing out in a sale one day, um, but I'm not too worried about it. I have $1,106 in total sales. So that, again, that's not too bad. Off a $100 account, I've turned, over, turned it over 10 times and gotten up over to $1,000 worth of sales. Um, sold 3,700 cards, and I've purchased 5,206 cards. So really, I'm just doing, you know, um, my strategy is this. I click on browse, I go to on sale, and I go to recently posted because I want to see the newest, freshest sales from, and then the second layer in, on that is I like to find sellers that don't run sales very often, or maybe they just added the cards, or, you know, they've had the cards on there a while, and now they're blowing them out. Um, I, I really don't care the reason why they're selling their cards, but um, I, I will find after I've picked through the guy that runs, I don't want to, you know, bring up any, seller on here by name, but search, you know, I just search, check on my cards, sales, you know, usually it's like once or twice a day, I've got it on my iPad too. And so I can just search the sales and, you know, I can recognize the names that are running a sale every week. And so typically after you've picked through that guy's stuff or their, you know, you know, their inventory is sitting there for a reason. And they have to run sales week after week for a reason because the stuff isn't selling very well. So really what you want to check on my cards is that stuff that's either fresh or that stuff that's been sitting there a while, too high of a price. All of a sudden, some guy blows it out. You can buy it at that blow-up price and then maybe reprice it up a little higher and it'll move again. Um, that's really all I've been doing. I've been uh, focusing on the cards that I can basically triple my money on, on a pricing. So for example, if I buy it for a dollar, I want to build a uh, re price the card at $3, not expecting to sell the card at $3. However, you know, it's great if it does, if you buy a card for a dollar and you price it at three, it's great if it does sell. But typically what I'm, I'm looking to do is, is eventually run a sale. And if I can't sell that card for full price or get an offer on it, I'll end up running a sale, probably about 55, 60% off. And I'll take a dollar 40 for it. So instead of, you know, that, that end, that's pretty good margin. Buy something for a dollar, sell it for a dollar 40. And you can do that quite a bit on uh, check on my carts. But what you don't want to do, you don't want to buy a card for a dollar and price it at a dollar 40, where like, you know, that's the price you have to price it at. So for example, if you buy a card for a dollar, the next lowest price is a dollar 50. That's not a good buy. I want to buy a card for a dollar where the next lowest price is like $6.99. So I can come in there at $399, $499. Still have some gap too. What I always like to do, the best deals on checking my cards is when you're buying the card for a dollar. And like I said, the next lowest price is $899. There's a big gap there. And so you can come in at $499 and still make a great profit for you. But then also it, it appears that you're running a great sale versus the other option on the site, which is pay $999. So that's what you definitely want to look for. You want to look for those big gaps. Um, and, and obviously, I'm giving an example with a dollar. It works all the way down. If you, if you, if you have a 10-cent card, I like to, the next lowest price on the site to be 50 cents. So I can come in there at 35 cents, 45 cents, still be lower than the lowest price by more than a penny. 
If you're in on check of my carts, undercutting guys by a penny, you're just going to get undercut, 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 and be on there up repricing your cards. I don't really want to do that. I just want to buy the card, reprice the card. If it doesn't sell after a little while, I'll run a spring cleaning sale or something like that and get rid of it and get something that will move. Or what I'm doing also, what I'm focusing on more too, buying the Kobe Bryants, buying uh, the Derek Jeters, buying the Buster Posey's, buying, uh, you know, the Buster Posey's not a great example, but I do like the, reti- I like the retired player, you know, the long- Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, base cards or whatever, not the, the 1960s stuff, but anything in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, Joe DiMaggio is money all day long. So I don't mind buying that stuff and uh, holding on to it for a little while if I got to. So that's my check on my cards update. Nothing really has changed uh, so much for me. They haven't done anything, at least I haven't seen much, with um, any of their um, pricing or anything like that. At least I haven't gotten wind of that. So, um, So for now, it's really just... Keep buying and selling, keep buying and selling. Eventually, I will uh, pull some money from this account. I think I'll start with 100 bucks and then be free, free rolling on the rest and uh, just see how it goes. But um, if you're on a low budget, I think you just follow that strategy. If you're on a little bit higher budget, if you start an account with $250 to $500 to $1,000, uh, if you're starting with that kind of money, you might want to dip into port sales. Because honestly, if you're on here trying to search for deals, sometimes, you know, it it gets a little dry. You know, I had, again, I had $80 last February. I've only been able to spend about 50 of it. And quite frankly, I spent about at least 10 of that today. Some guy had a decent amount of stuff that was priced right. So I was buying a lot of it. I actually wanted to buy all of it. I couldn't figure out a way to do that on checking my cards. I think in the past, there used to be a way to click on a, a guy's, a portfolio and then there was a button like add all items to your cart and you could essentially buy a guy's whole portfolio of cards and I kind of wanted to do that today maybe I just missed it um, but that's always an option too if you see a really hot sale um, just buy it all and, I, and that's kind of what I wanted to do today but uh, like I said I did end up going I did I'm sitting there for 25-30 minutes and cherry picking all the stuff that I did want but like I said, it is kind, that is kind of a tedious process, and it's something that I could see if you have a desk job or if you're like me and, you know, you're sitting around on the couch with the iPad watching TV, watching, you know, this, that, and the other. Uh, so certainly, I have time to, to check on the sales and buy a card here, too, when it's on sale. But um, the other thing I think you could do is really load up on key times. So if you have the discipline to only buy when it's a Black Friday sale, spring cleaning sale, um, or, or something like that. I think you load up, you could just load up all, you do almost all your buying during those times. And then quite frankly, that's what I do typically too um, with any kind of extra funds that I have in my account. I, I typically spend it all during the, uh, the, the Black Friday sales and when everybody's trying to compete to kind of have a really low price on the site. So, um that's where I'm at with checking my cards. I saw that they were going to let you use store credit to, um, you were going to, you know, use store credit at a sports card store. So that was at the Upper Deck Diamond Dealer Conference, which was, um, you know, weeks or months ago at this point. 
but uh, I saw that that was kind of interesting. I doubt many people are going to take advantage of that. But if I was a card store, hey, I would figure out a way to do that. And if you only got one buy a year on it, at least uh, that's a little money. Um, but another use for your check on my card store credit. Maybe, <laughs> you know, I doubt I'll use it like that. But uh, for now, you can either take the cash. I think you can get blowout uh, certificates. Um, and that's about it for now. But maybe you'll be able to exchange it for Bitcoin or something in the future, or gold coins. I'd love for check on my cards. I think the plan was for a while there was to branch off into coins. And I think he even had it on his tab. I don't see it there anymore. But I sure would like uh, him to branch off into like PCGS coins uh, where you didn't have to worry about authenticating it or really labeling it and figuring out what it is. It's already right there on the PCGS label. And uh, I would love to be on there flipping baseball cards and then buying gold and silver. So shout out to Tim over at Check On My Cards and all the hardworking people there. You know, when you're, when, you're done, when you're done making all this money on the sports cards, can we please get some PCGS, NGC coins up on the site? I think that'd be really cool. Um, again, I think the, the, the authentication of that is already done. The labeling, you know, kind of the identification of the coin already done because it's all on the PCGS label. And quite frankly, as someone who does dabble in the coin market and someone who dabbles in the sports card market, quite frankly, identifying coins is a lot easier than baseball cards. And so I'd love uh, for them to branch out into that at some point. And like I said, I'd be flipping this uh, pieces of cardboard for real assets, gold and silver. That'd be amazing. We'll see what ends up happening. But I'd love to be that to be my cash out. You know what I mean? Getting this cash, you know, getting $100 dumped in my PayPal account is probably just going to sit there for a while um, until I find a website that, you know, I'm buying. You know, I don't buy a lot on eBay. I don't buy a lot. Uh, you know, I, I like to buy a lot of stuff with credit cards just for the, you know, the points and, and the cash back you get on that kind of stuff and the warranty and, and all that stuff. So I don't use PayPal a whole lot, but I'd love to be able to cash it out and get me some gold and silver. So shout out to, to check on my cards, get that happening. But anyways, what we've got happening right now is we're going to take a break. We're going to go check on my wife and my newborn son. And so that's why we haven't had some shows. I'm sitting in my um, my dining room slash living room, kind of all one big room, actually. So there might be an echo, but uh, you know we'll probably go back to taking breaks on the sports card show podcast because uh, you know I'll have to go check on my son, and he might be crying or whatever it might be. But uh, you know you got to do what you got to do. Uh, so I'm going to go do that. We'll take a break. We'll come back. But I never run talk about NFL draft. That's why I need a one dance. Got a in my hand. One more time before I go. Higher powers taking a hold on me. I need a one dance. Got a Hennessy in my hand. One more time before I go. Higher powers taking a hold on me. Strength and guidance, 
All that I'm wishing for my friends Nobody makes it from my ends I had to bust up the silence You know you gotta stick by me Soon as you see the text, reply me I don't wanna spend time fighting We got no time and that's why I need a one dance Got a Hennessy in my hand One more time before I go Higher powers taking a hold on me I need a one dance Got a Hennessy in my hand One more time before I go Higher powers taking a hold on me And we are back. It's been a while since we've taken a, a, a you know a break on the show, so it's nice come back fresh. And we're going to talk about 1990s era baseball cards going up in value. So yeah, call your call your mom, tell her to pull them out of the garage, or the closet, tell your kids to stop flipping around. Uh, maybe they're going to be worth something. We'll talk about a couple NFL draft prospects, and we'll we'll wrap it up with some maybe some mid, mildly off-topic stuff. So, 1990s era card. So, don't ask me why, but the other day I was comparing Barry Bonds' 2013 card values to 2017. I was also doing the same for Nolan Ryan. I was doing the same for um, a lot of 90s. Ken Griffey Jr., um, numerous athletes that you ad- would identify as quote unquote 1990s era baseball players. So, also referred uh, sometimes as kind of the steroid era as well, since a lot of the players uh, did steroids during that, that era. And I've long said on this program that as we get further and further away from the steroid, uh, the you know, athletes taking steroids um, will grow fonder and fonder of them because uh, the, the, you know, human nature is kind of forgive and forget kind of is, is a natural human nature and not that uh, we'll, we'll totally forgive or forget the players from this era. But I think um, while I don't, I'm not an expert on baseball hall of fame uh, voting systems and how long they can stay on the ballot. I think if those guys can stay on the ballot long enough, you'll get enough younger writers uh, start cycling through there or enough that have forgiven, forgotten, and those guys will start uh, making their way in there as I think they should be. Uh, but what isn't in doubt is every single player I looked at, their cards had gone up in value. And I won't say it's across the board. You know, when you're talking about the, you know, the 1986 traded rookie card, we're only talking about a small a rise in price, you know, in comparison, you know, if it's a $6 card, maybe it's a $7 and 50 cent card. Now, now obviously a dollar 50 move on a $6 cards, a pretty good, pretty good move. And, you know, chances are, uh, you could have a whole box of those cards sitting around if you wanted to. But, um, really where I saw the, the most price movement and the highest kind of jumps in price is on the BGS 9.5 or PSA 10, a range of card and definitely for someone like Barry Bonds it was like his tops Tiffany card a card that's already kind of rare and I put kind of rare in air quotes but uh, you know it's a card that 
is identified as one of Barry Bonds' best rookies. Um, he had a couple other rookies in there that are considered his best one. And whatever a guy's best rookie card is, obviously with someone like Ken Griffey Jr., the 89 upper deck card, it's kind of obvious. But uh, other players, it might be less obvious. Other players like Don Mattingly, um, some of these players might have only had like one tops cards, whereas Bonds kind of came in that area where there was like Fleer and Donruss and uh, some other cards. And so you certainly could make that decision. But what I saw was um, price action moving up. Again, this was 2000, I had 2013 values and I was um, updating them and I was doing them for 2000, basically 16 for the full year of 2016. And the values again on the high end stuff, the Holy grail quote unquote type stuff has definitely um, gone up. And so I think if you're one of, that's just something naturally as a collector, you want to think about, you want to think about um, collecting that the, the best of the best is certainly what people tend to go after, especially when you look back on an era of 1990s era where they just made tons and tons of cards. They made tons and tons of the same cards. Okay, cards sets would have maybe four, 500, 600 cards, 700 cards in them, but they just made the, each card just you know, millions and millions of times I've even gone back and read. Sometimes you go to a library or, or there's these friends of the library type places that sell books. And um, sometimes I'll find sports card ones, and I'll, it's always interesting to go through and read them because they were often written during that era, and they'll just tell you how many millions and millions of cards. They'll have, like, quotes from, from uh, industry. I think one of the quotes I remember from reading a book was uh, the, someone said, if uh, one of the manufacturers said, if we had gotten book value price for every George Brett rookie card that was printed, they could have retired the national debt at that time. So, um, you know, they were explaining that, yes, these cards were selling for maybe $10, $20 on the secondary market at that time, but Tops only realized a small fraction of that since they sold them for 25 cents each. Now, like almost the opposite has happened. Back in the day, Tops used to price, maybe underprice some of these cards, obviously, because the, there was demand there and they went up in value. And people speculated on the price going up in value on baseball cards, and they still do today. The thing is, is now Tops charges you an arm and a leg, and Panini charges you an arm and a leg. So that speculation, uh, that, that ability for price appreciation has definitely gone out the window. But to finish my point, are 1990s era cards getting a, uh, a bump? No. Is that Tony Perez 1990 tops getting a bump? Not really. Um, I think, again, if you have these cards all graded PSA 10, I think maybe there's some there's definitely some collectability. But that old box that's been sitting around and, and has moved with you four different times and now, you know, the corners are worn out. Maybe it's got a little water damage in one corner. You know, no, those cards, are. it's not going to be like finding a box of 1960, you know, a monster box filled with 1960 baseball cards, you know, where the condition, yes, the condition is important, but it's less important. 1990s era condition is still going to be the, going to be king, uh, condition and perceived rarity, because I don't think any of the cards are all that rare from that era, but there's certainly perceived, there's certainly cards that are more rare or at least perceived to be more rare. So focusing on those cards 
it's typically a rookie card, a Topps Tiffany card, or some kind of, uh, you know, rare issue, or a card like the 89 Upper Deck, where they, they 89 Upper Deck, Ken Griffey Jr., where they made a ton of those cards. Um, and in fact, there's, I think, been a lot of allegations that they printed, they just kept printing and printing just that card. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of them out there, but they're, it's, you know, it's kind of an iconic card. And certainly that, that has some value. So I think um, you can also, the other thing I think you could do is go look at the population reports on BGS and PSA and log in there and go look and see how many PSA 10s are available, how many PSA 9s are available. I would, really wouldn't do PSA 9 unless that's one of the highest grades, unless there's only you know a small handful of PSA 10s and they rarely come up for sale or they're, they're worth $10,000 already. I would focus on PSA 10, BGS 9.5, BGS 10. And that's it. Like I said, the other cards that I looked at, yes, they have appreciated a little bit, but... I don't see any reason to go run out and buy a $5 card that in three years is going to be worth $7. You know, you really have to buy 300 of them to really want to make that worth your wild, I think. And then all of a sudden, now we're talking about 300 cards. That's 300 different times you have to buy them. Uh, it's just a lot of time, a lot of effort. Maybe some of you guys are out there willing to put it in, but I'd rather buy one BGS 9.5 card or one PSA 10 card or, or, or spend the money and find a BGS pristine or something and go that route. So that was my point there. So know your, your 1990 wax packs that you still have in the wax and sealed in the case. It's not going to be worth much, um, but... I, you know, my point was I have seen some increased interest there, and that's the first time in a while. I've been monitoring these prices for a while, and yes, I've seen increases, but just over the last year, two years, I have seen a, a significant increase where it was like, oh, wow, those, those have gone up in value. Um, and so that I thought that was really interesting. And I think it's a combination of our era going back and buying these cards uh, it's also, uh, you know, the vintage cards are, are booming, like I said in the first segment. I think it's propping up the, the rest of this stuff. Uh, and the third is, I think, the long, again, the longer we get away from the steroid era, the, the more we tend to forgive and forget what, what they did. And God, uh, all I know is it was entertaining. And I think uh, at the bottom, as as time goes on, that's really what we remember. We remember the home, all the home runs. Guys were hitting 40, 50, 60, 70 jacks like it was nothing. Like you had to intentionally walk them half the time. Otherwise, you would have hit 100 home runs. Like if there was no intentional walk, Barry Bonds might have hit 80. At least if, there, if they could never intentional walk Barry Bonds, he would have hit at least 80, 90 home runs. At least that year, maybe a hundred. I don't know. I don't. He was. I know he's in. I watched a lot of those games. I know he's walked and intentionally walked uh, many times. A lot of the times because the Giants had crappy players. But anyways, they were good. They were good sometimes with Bonds. Um, moving on. Let's switch gears. We've been baseball heavy. Let's go to football. Yeah, nobody's, nobody cares about football right now, and that's great. That's exactly when you want to start buying cards of football. And what I like to do is buy these second-year guys. I think it's hard to break out. I think what Ezekiel Elliott did 
and Dak Prescott did, while I wasn't surprised at all, especially with Ezekiel Elliott, I wasn't surprised at all. I know if you go back on this show, an exact quote for me is I see Ezekiel Elliott dominating the NFL in Russia. I could see him doing it for two, three years at least. I didn't think he'd do it in his first year, but that's what ended up happening. I also talked a lot about Dak Prescott on this podcast as well before he was even drafted and said that he was a leader because he was on a team that really wasn't that good, that didn't have a lot of guys. Uh, it wasn't like uh, an Alabama or well, Alabama doesn't necessarily always have a great offense, but it wasn't like some of these West Coast Pac-12 teams that threw it 50 times and had four shifty wide receivers and two running backs. He played on a team where he was like the only guy, and they almost went to the national championship. So it certainly didn't surprise me what he did. I think with that offensive line, uh, it definitely, um, you know, to segue into the NFL draft combine this year's prospects. Um, I don't see a lot of, uh, a lot of these guys. I don't see an Ezekiel Elliott in the draft. Certainly that can materialize if a guy, again, gets put in the right situation. A wide receiver gets paired with a Drew Brees, a Tom Brady, and Aaron Rodgers. Maybe a guy could really have a great season. Or a guy goes to a team with already a great offensive line and ends up, uh, you know, breaking – you know, breaking rushing records. I don't see it happening. Uh, the, although the one player that could do something big is Leonard Fournette. He's certainly a guy that I have my eye on. I think he's going to be uh, highly collected, uh, part because he went to LSU, in part because he was one of the most highly decorated uh, high school athletes in high school, uh, high school athletes and high school football. So he's very decorated. And uh, very highly hyped. I know that they stacked 11 guys in the box when he, when, he, when LSU played because LSU couldn't throw. They just had quarterback problems, and I think it led to their coach being fired and everything, and it, it certainly led to Leonard Fournette not having a ton of, like, consistent results. I mean, he was good most weeks, but he wasn't, like, consistently great, kind of like Ezekiel Elliott was. So I could see if Leonard Fournette went to Ohio State, maybe he'd, you know, he'd be, be even more hyped right now. So depending on where he goes, depending on what situation he gets put in, I certainly see him doing well. I think this year at the NFL draft, it's kind of like a wait. I think it's a wait and see. Um, obviously, if you want to take a shot on some of this early season NFL stuff, go right ahead. I don't really uh, have a problem with that. Sometimes it's some of the, their best autographs because they haven't signed 10 million cards for Panini yet. Uh, they've still they're taking their time. They haven't shortened it down to, uh, you know, some initials by the end of the season. Uh, so a lot of times it's on card leaf and, and sage. While I don't particularly like the, the design or the aesthetics of a sage card, typically um, the cards are typically on card. Same with leaf. Um, so, you know, you could be out there, I think. I don't know how much I'd be speculating, but you could be doing that. Certainly. Um, but I think it's a wait and see. Wait, wait for the draft. Wait to see where these guys go. Wait to see what opportunity they potentially could have. And then I think you could even wait all the way up into training camp. You can get news on on how coaches feel about these guys is often a, a good a gauge on on how a guy's doing. Um, so I'd wait. Personally, I don't see a ton of guys that I'd be super excited about. I did watch some of the NFL draft combine coverage and I tried to take notes on players that I, I liked, but I didn't see a whole lot that I was super excited about. However, some year two guys, I think this is where, you know, a guy's gotten his feet wet in the NFL. We saw a lot of year one guys outside of Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott, you know, 
the kid for Philadelphia, Carson Wentz, kind of was up and down. Jared Goff was exactly the player that I thought he would be. Uh, he has a good arm, but on the Rams and, and a, a relatively poor offensive line, he's not very mobile. He doesn't throw the ball on the run well. Jared Goff is your straight-up shotgun, you know, turn-and-throw type quarterback. And in the NFL, you got to drop back. You got to move up in the pocket. You got to sidestep. You got to do all these things. He's not, he's, that's not him. So he's going to have to work on that. Otherwise, he's going to be a huge flop at the quarterback position. Um, so, you know, I have some guys that I'm targeting. It's not Carson Wentz, it's not Jared Goff. I think their cards are probably already a little overvalued, anyways. And, and as we've seen, look at Andrew Luck, look at RG3. Uh, even Russell Wilson cards, I'm sure, have taken a step back a little bit uh, since the Super Bowls. Uh, and it should, you know, not that Russell Wilson's performance has, has fallen off, but he came out of the gate so fast that it was just a given. So um, guys that I think could do well in year two, right on the top. I had this name down on my list for weeks because I've been, you know, keeping ideas about this uh, Sports Card Show podcast for weeks. I haven't done one in a while. Had this name on my tablet here for weeks. So you're gonna have to take my word for it because news out of this team. I had my my I had this guy's name on my list before RG3 was gonna get dropped or released. Probably. I had this on my tablet before I saw uh just a couple days ago the Browns announced this guy will probably get a chance to start a QB. And this was before the, this team traded uh, for uh, Matt Schaub or whatever his name is. Not Matt Schaub, Brock Osweiler, basically the same guy, uh, and are planning on either releasing them or trading. I don't know what they're going to do with them, but they're probably not going to play them or keep them on the payroll. So Cody Kessler. USC quarterback, USC kid, saw him play quite a bit. He had some talented players around him in USC, but he performed. He performed pretty well. His, his, I don't think the defense was that good. I don't think the run game was that good. But uh, this is a guy that can play. And if you look at his stats last year, and again, this is on the Browns, his stats really aren't that bad. And I think if he was in a better situation, if he went to the Eagles or if he went to uh, you know, any of these kind of like mid-range teams that are probably like a player, a couple players away from being a pretty good team. I think Cody Kessler could be one of the bigger names in the hobby right now. So we'll see what happens. The Browns are a black hole for players. I wouldn't be going all in and buying his national treasures and spending all this kind of money, uh, his flawless or whatever's out there of his. I wouldn't just go all in and go crazy. But um Cody Kessler is a guy I will be trying to scoop up as one of his autographs here in the next couple of weeks. I don't have any of his cards right now, but I've got some money on my check on my cards account. So I see no, no reason, uh, no problem with trying to profit off him. Uh, obviously I'd be looking for a thin, I, I'd probably be looking for a thinner profit with someone like him only because he is with the Browns, but the Browns do have a good coach. They have, uh, can't remember his name, but he's, he was with the Bengals on and off, and he was, he was the head coach of the Raiders, uh, who were doing quite well uh, before they had quarterback issues. And then they made a really bad trade for Carson Palmer, which really threw off their kind of development uh, for a year or two. But um, 
Cody Kessler, go look at his stats last year. I did see him play a couple times. I know he got hurt. Everybody got hurt uh, at the quarterback position on the Browns. But this is a clear, he has a clear, clear path to be the starter on that team. And expectations are, you know, the bottom of a trash can for the Browns. If he goes in there and goes seven and nine, his cards could go, go up considerably. And you can't say that about a lot of players. Um, so, and I like, I, I did look at the prices of his cards. They're, you know, <laughs> despite what I'm saying about him now, there's not people running, really a lot of people running out there and going and getting his cards. And I think he's really, for me, at the quarterback position, He's he's the best guy to kind of get a boost to, from where he stands today. Second guy, another quarterback, my boy, Jacoby Brissett. I know I talked about him before he was drafted, and then he was drafted by the Patriots. So, uh, And then he had a couple good games there. He did, I think he did get a little pop. I do not know if Jimmy Garoppolo is still there or what's his status. I heard he was maybe getting traded, but I don't think he did. But the fact that the Patriots want to move on from Garoppolo kind of gives you an idea that maybe they feel something about Jacoby Brissett. Now, New England could do something in the draft they could – they could easily draft a quarterback in the second round or the first round or third round. They, they've often done that. I think they picked up Brissett pretty uh, in one, maybe the third round or something, third or fourth round. So certainly could happen again, and it could uh, uh, affect how I feel about Brissett. But, hey, Tom Tom GPS uh, could have some glitches this year just on the – I mean, I think he's getting – He's got to be, I think his rookies were 2000. So that was 17 years ago. He had to be at least 21, 20, 21 years old at that time, maybe. So he's got to be 37, 38 years old. I mean, he looks great, obviously, but um, both on and off the field. But uh, I'm comfortable saying that, Uh, you know, Brissett could get some time. Again, I see him, you know, get maybe getting some time. You never know. And, uh, Either way, he's a guy that the Patriots will probably move on from at some point, either in a trade or his contract will run out or whatever. And he might get a shot somewhere else just because he, you know, played under Tom so um, and played for the Patriots so and, and did have some success when he was put in. So he's a guy, I call him kind of like a baby Donovan McNabb. He has really good feet. He's not a fast guy, not a fast... Michael Vick type quarterback, but he has he has what Jared Goff doesn't. Now, if if Jared Goff and Jacoby Brissett could have a baby, it could be one of the best quarterbacks of all time. But um, Jared Goff is missing Jacoby Brissett's feet, and Jacoby Brissett is is definitely missing that. Yeah, while he has a really good arm, it's not nearly as good as Jared Goff's. But um, you know, good player. Lastly. And this is a player uh, who had a solid season, had exactly the season I thought he would have. If you go back again, not to uh, toot my own horn, we could play the horn section here that I don't uh, have sitting next to me. But Tyler Boyd, I figured he'd have that six, seven hundred, eight yard season. I think he was right in that range. He actually picked it up as the his uh, you know performance wasn't. It definitely got better and better. And I think uh, someone like Andy Dalton. Uh, the more he works with him, I think his 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 numbers will. I think he has a shot at being a thousand yard uh, receiver next year. And what makes me say that is, I wasn't sure how well Tyler Boyd would do if AJ Green got hurt. And AJ Green did get hurt. And Tyler Boyd's performance actually and his presence in the game actually got 
bigger. I actually thought that he, you know, now the defense, instead of the double team being on um, A.J. Green, pretty much every passing player passing down, now the defense might be covered, uh, you know, be able to cover Boyd more effectively. But that really wasn't the case. Um, And Tyler Eifert, I think, got hurt too. And, you know, Boyd still did well. So it's one of these things that I think with a healthy A.J. Green, with a healthy Tyler Eifert, Tyler Boyd's upside might actually be capped a little bit, whereas Tyler Eifert pretty much always gets injured. A.J. Green just has that body type that tends to get injured. Um, and, and Tyler Boyd could get injured too himself, but, um, he's a player that, uh, plays a critical role in the NFL these days, kind of that, um, slash between an outside wide receiver and inside receiver. He can really play both roles. And, um, I I really like his production level. I think from a fantasy standpoint, I think you'll be on a lot of people's radar, especially in like PPR leagues, but um, certainly on the sleeper, quote unquote, sleeper wide receiver, he'll certainly be right there at the top of the list. I think of that, that, you know, number three flex wide receiver, like in a 12 team, 13, 14 team league, um, you're certainly looking to do him, and certainly on daily fantasy He'd probably be one of those like value type wide receivers that people tend to gravitate to because um, I could see him progressing. I could see his cards progressing a little as well. I think the Bengals had a little bit of a disappointing season. And um, while, you know, I don't like to make predictions on uh, how well their season would go, um, you know, they could have a bounce, they could have a bounce back year, be back in the playoffs and be back at one of those teams. People think could go to the Super Bowl, but then, lose tragically <laughs> once they get to the playoffs. Moving on, I think that's enough football, but uh, certainly something you want to have on your mind. You know, you're going to have, you're going to listen. There's a lot of great podcasts out there in the hobby now. Um, I don't, I can't say that I listen to any of them, unfortunately, because I have my own uh, long list of podcasts that I listen to that really have nothing to do with baseball cards or really have anything to do with um my job or anything. I listen to a poker podcast that tends to be between three and seven hours long. So that tends to take all week. So I don't have a whole lot of time. And with, you know, yard work now and a kid, <laughs> I don't have a lot of time listening to podcasts, but there are a lot of sports card podcasts out there. I encourage you to go out and find them and listen to them. Certainly when uh, I started this show years ago, eight, nine years ago, whenever it was, um, there was not that many. I think I was the only one doing a regular one at that time. So it's good that uh, there's more options, more variety out there. But um, I doubt many of them are telling you, go buy football cards right now. They're trying to tell you to go buy um, basketball or baseball, whatever it is that's out. But hey, if you're prospecting, if you're trying, you know, in business, you're always trying to skate where the puck is going to be. Don't go skate over where the puck is. The puck right now is with top series one and with basketball and baseball. Um, and obviously with Ezekiel Elliott, Dak Prescott, we have late end of year postseason type stuff that's still coming out, trickling out um, from Panini. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't buy that stuff. I would certainly wouldn't recommend going and buying that stuff. Um, I think the real value is um, finding some of these second year. You know, we saw Jay Ajay um, really come on for the Miami Dolphins. Um, there's probably some more off that. I didn't follow the NFL all that closely this year, um, enough, you know, but I'm sure there was a couple other second year guys that, um, 
you know, peek through, but JHI is certainly the, the one that I can think of uh, off the top of my head. Time to talk about um, just some other things you could be selling besides uh, sports cards. So I know a lot of people out there selling on eBay, selling on Check Out My Cards Now, selling on you know forums or selling at a card show, wherever you might do some selling. It probably often revolves around baseball cards or sports memorabilia, things like that. Well, what I've found over the years selling that stuff is it's almost like your margin is capped and your your ability to sell it at a, at a higher price is often, and that's often the case in any retail. There's always some competitor or someone else that's going to come in and sell it at, at another at a little bit lower price, a little bit lower price, and eventually um, supply hits demand and, and you get kind of like that sweet spot price. Well, what I've found... Just, uh, again, I, I don't have any direct experience with this. I don't know if uh, this is something I'm going to get uh, more into. But over the last uh, several months, I've obviously been doing a lot of painting, doing a lot of renovations uh, on my house. I've done a lot of then examining the type of furniture I'm going to bring into my house. <laughs> my our, my wife and I have had numerous, uh, I don't want to call them arguments, but uh, let's just say sometimes... It's not, it's not always her too, but, uh, you know, sometimes you're given a piece of furniture that, that isn't always that nice, but Hey, you can put a paint job on it. You could put, you can kind of refinish it and really make it look nice. Well, what I've seen is then I've started to go out and look for other little pieces because I kind of need a dresser. I kind of need some end tables. I kind of need some other stuff. And there is a wide range of price out there. Uh, whether it's in kind of, you know, needs to be restored condition all the way up into, you know, been been sanded off and painted and refinished and put, had new hardware put on it, had the drawers fixed or whatever, little cracks filled and all that stuff. Now, obviously, that's a lot of work. That's a different kind of skill set. You also need the type, uh, you need tools, you need materials, you need space to do this. If you live in a condo or apartment, it's certainly going to be a little bit harder to be, you know, spraying your, spraying your furniture or doing the things you need to do. But it's certainly doable. And I think the profit margin on, on something like that is certainly a little bit higher. I also um, took a look at, you know, where are you going to sell this stuff? You know, I, I've, I've found that I have a good eye for furniture. I have a good eye for being able to paint it and refinish it and making it look good. But where would I sell it? I don't think I want to be on Craigslist listing it and getting text and going back and forth with people. I don't think I'd really want to do all that. Um, well, there's certainly like consignment stores and antique stores out there that uh, will take your item typically on like a 50-50 consignment. And um, if it sells, you know, you got maybe 90 days, 180 days to sell the item. So you have to, you know, eventually price it fairly competitively. But there's an, that, that's a great, I think that's a great option uh, for you out there if you're a little bit handy um, if you've got flea markets in the area, if you've got, you know, you're on Craigslist, certainly if you have a truck and you can go pick up uh, someone's broken down furniture and you can, you can, you know, put a couple nails on it and, and put a coat of paint on it, you, you know, you can turn a $5 dresser into a $100 bill uh, pretty quickly and pretty easily. Um, quite frankly, without a whole lot of effort, if, especially if you you calculate your effort of scanning a baseball card, finding that baseball card, seeing if it's worth something, scanning it, listing it, uh, getting it to sell, then f going and finding it again when it does sell, packaging it up, uh, printing out the label, 
sticking the label on there, maybe having to go to the post office even. If you add in all that time, you probably could have sanded off and painted a dresser and made uh, uh, 10 times more profit. Obviously, uh, the velocity in which something like that sells, the ease of getting uh, furniture might be difficult for some of you. Um, and furniture is really just one example. There's lots of things that you can kind of like, I think upcycle is kind of the term, but there's a lot of things that you could be flipping uh, outside of just something that you buy at a wholesaler or something you buy out of a, a pack of baseball cards. There's a lot of other things out there that people demand and people uh, put value on. And uh, certainly uh, certainly something that, uh, that I've seen that if you, if you, you know, for me, it's like I've got all this extra paint. I've got, you know, quarter... You know, I've got quarter cans of paint. You know, often what I would do is I would start a project. I would, I was buying really, and that's probably my second tip. If you want to get into this, or if you, if it's something that you thought about, use high quality paint. I don't think you'd want to skimp on the paint. You don't want to go and get $9.99 a gallon paint. It's, it's not going to look as good. It just, in my brief experience with painting an entire house, I'm going to paint the outside exterior of my house as well. But you know, I, st I started off spraying kind of mid-tier paint, and I was like, eh. And then I went up to a really high-quality paint, and I was like, eh. And then I went all the way to the, you know, as tip, my wife always uh, laughs at me whenever I look for an item. You know, whether it's like a, a rolling pin or, or anything, I often search for the most expensive first and kind of walk my way backwards from there. Uh, with paint, search for the most expensive paint, and uh, it, you know, the results after I started spraying that have been spectacular. So I ended up spraying uh, the rest of my house with, uh, it's uh, called Benjamin Moore Aura Paint, A-U-R-A, and it's extremely high quality paint, and it, it, you get incredible results. And so I, I would recommend uh, spraying that. But I have quarter paints of that, you know, quarter gallons of that sitting around in multiple colors, uh, multiple cans of it. And so what's nice is you can kind of um, use some of that. Um, obviously keep maybe a little bit of it around for touch-ups and stuff. But, um, you know, I have enough of it where I can be painting furniture and doing things like that. And, and uh, it's a good use for it instead of the paint can kind of sitting around empty or half empty. So definitely something, uh, you can find all this stuff at estate sales. The last thing I'll talk about is I uh, went to a estate sale. If you live um, in a neighborhood where that, a lot of that goes on, I just happened to have moved into a neighborhood where there are beautiful houses, and a lot of these houses are occupied by older individuals. And I was just, just around the corner from me, literally, were two basically across-the-street estate sales, and I ended up picking up some... I really didn't, they were actually both kind of closing up shop at the time, so I didn't have a ton of time to, to run around each one and kind of really get, and I was there at the end of the sale too, when maybe some of the better stuff had been picked off, but I found seven Kentucky Derby mint julep glasses, and so this is something I don't know why uh, I knew that were valuable, and um, not necessarily the ones made in the last couple of years. You're going to get a couple bucks a glass um, on those. But they, these were glasses from a lot of them from the 19, the late 1960s and early 1970s. And so I knew right away they were worth at least $10, $15 a glass. Um, and I ended up getting them for, I think, $3 each or $2 each, something like that. Um, or about $2 each, actually. And so, um, so yeah. The, I think you're going to be able to go to estate sales 
and find uh, and I've actually already sold um, two of the I've already sold two of the seven glasses and I only have uh, five of them listed I think or, or actually four of them listed so um, they're selling quickly I've gotten offers on them quickly um, I think as the Kentucky Derby comes up I think it's in a month or two uh, we'll certainly uh, get more interest in them as as that event uh, gets closer so um, just having a broad, you know, if I didn't know the Kentucky Derby glasses were worth money, I, I, they wouldn't have caught my eye. So I think it's one of those things. It's just like baseball cards. A lot of us can flip through. You can give us a box of baseball cards and we can shuffle through them really quickly and find the valuable ones. Um, having that kind of eye with antiques and with collectibles on a broader stretch, certainly going to uh, open your open your do- uh, open the doors for more ways to make profits. Um, and I think it's important, you know, to think about this. You might say, oh, man, I'm not going to be, you know, you know, redoing painting furniture or doing something like that. And I certainly could see that. That's not for everybody. But I think you could really think about expanding your range because Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott doesn't happen every year. I think uh, personally we'll have a down year for football, certainly compared to this year. But I think we'll have a down-to-flat year with football – uh, basketball could be a little bit better. You could have uh, a you know a broader range of talent come in from the NBA, but those guys are so young compared to the NBA is a really a kind of an established stars league at this point. You got Westbrook, Durant, Curry, LeBron. Um, you know I could go on and on and on and on. There's just a lot of established stars in the league, and you just don't see that 18 year old, 19 year old guy. Uh, coming into the NBA and kind of blowing the door. It's usually not until, you know, look at Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns even uh, was really good his first year, but it's gotten even better. Um, Anthony Davis as well. There's just a lot of guys, Andrew Wiggins, that, you know, it takes them a while, although there's a, an incredible amount of hype on them early on. It, it, it tends to take a while. So um, expanding your range, you know, make it, finding different kind of things you can sell, I think going in a completely different collectibles uh, market is certainly something you want to think about. But I think you want to strongly consider um, things like, again, if you get a piece of furniture and you've, you've, you've sanded it, you've painted it, you've put new hardware on it, you've fixed little cracks and broken pieces and you've made it perfect, that is a one-of-a-kind item now. Whereas with any baseball card you pull, outside of the most rare, rarest of one-of-ones, which often have other versions or other, you know, kind of, uh, you know, things that are equally as cool to collect, someone might see your furniture and have to have it. That's when you have incredible pricing power. That's when you're turning $100 into $300, $100 into $500. I just see a much... Different audience there as well. Someone that's willing to spend five, six, seven hundred dollars on on some furniture um, is a great buyer to go after. Um, so, just some ideas I thought I'd throw out there. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys can be creative as well. There's lots of ways you you can you can go with this. But I think you know the the buying a wholesale item and trying to flip it. That's a good model, and I think a lot of you guys out there will probably see some success there or buy a bunch of cases and flip, open it up and flip it, or buy some stuff uh, on clearance and, and flip it. I think that there's some opportunity there. There's certainly some ways to make some money. Certainly the more, the more you hustle, the more money that will come in. But I just wonder how often you'll find that 
big that big profit where you'll get you'll you you know you'll you'll buy something for twenty and sell it for three hundred, buy something for twenty, put maybe ten dollars into it and sell it for two hundred and fifty dollars. I don't see that happening in the baseball card market or the buy and sell wholesale market, quite frankly, a lot. Because again, there's always someone else going to go to that supplier and buy it and then start selling it at a lower, three pennies lower than you. And you guys will end up whittling your way down to the lowest margin possible. But where I do see a lot of uh, ways to make that kind of money, again, antique, collectibles, more rare stuff. You got to hunt and dig and pick for that kind of stuff. But also, and having an eye for that, developing an eye for that, but also kind of the upcycling, you know, you can go to, I was at a thrift store just the other day and picked up a bunch of stuff that, um, you know, was a great price. Some of it, you know, one of it was like a gutter extender for my house. I just bought two of them for like $9 each. And then I go to a, a thrift store and they have the exact same one for $2. And so sometimes you can find stuff like that, save a little, be a little thrifty, a little frugal. Now that I have a house, and got a kid, I guess I got a, and no job. I don't have a job, so I do probably got to be a little frugal. But um, I just see that, you know, and I've been on Craigslist. I've been trying to find a dresser for, for our bedroom and some other furniture pieces for around the house. And, man, the stuff that I have an eye for is either people want a lot for it or it doesn't come up for sale very often. And when it does, I make offers on it, and they, you know, they, they want to highball me, but... My point is, there's a lot of ways to make money, and I think the, the buy and sell wholesale is one of them, but again, I think uh, really as, as you move forward in your career and maybe trying to make that a career, you're going to find, you're going to get capped out at some point. You're going to get capped out at, at a certain level on eBay. You're going to get capped out at a certain level on Amazon, especially if it's a buying someone else's product and reselling them. Really where I think you're going to really expand your range and really make a lot of money is if you develop your own product or your own spin on a product. Maybe you start bundling products and make a gift basket. I, I, that's a kind of an underserved market I see. Instead of selling a, lanyard, a giant's lanyard and a giant's beanie and a giant's notepad all in one, you know, three different auctions, um, bundling it all together maybe putting it in a 99 cent basket and have a 10 cent bow on it. And now all of a sudden you can charge a premium for that. I think there's a little bit of underserved market for that gift giving, uh, you know, buying something that's already ready to give already packaged in and looks pretty. And you could put it on your boss's desk. You could put it in your son's bedroom. You could give it to your son for, for a birthday or your daughter for a birthday. It comes ready. I don't have to do anything else. I think people are looking for that. And I don't see a lot of people really serving that market. Uh, the people I do see serving that market tend to get a little bit more. Um, you add up the, the cost of what they paid for the items and then what they ended up getting, uh, they ended up uh, doing pretty well on it. So, And it does separate your auction. Again, instead of selling the same keychain as everybody else and having to mark it down to a, a lower price, bundle that keychain with the, the lanyard that the person might want with it. Bundle it with a money clip. Bundle it with uh, anything. It doesn't really matter uh, what it is, you know, anything. Uh, and put it in some kind of cute packaging, a cute box or whatever that you get a great deal on, uh, put a cute bow on it and call it a day. Say it includes a little gift card or, you know, you could personalize that. I don't care. But there's a lot of things that I think people could be doing, but they don't. Um, so, but 
My point is, there's a lot of things out there. Get out to those flea markets, those estate sales. There's a lot of um, opportunity there. And I think a lot of times the opportunity is, it isn't, always where, isn't always what you think it is. Um, sometimes that, that old piece of furniture... Uh, could could there could be a lot of profit in there if you're willing to to put some effort into it if you know what you're doing it really doesn't take a lot of skill it's not like I was a furniture expert and a painting expert it's just you know over the course of you know doing it again I, I tell everybody you, if you hire somebody to come over and paint your house they're going to send a guy over there that probably didn't graduate college so it doesn't take a genius quite frankly to paint a house doesn't take a genius to fix a car doesn't take a genius to to pick out nice antiques or be able to have a good eye for it. Quite frankly, it doesn't. It just takes a little bit of effort, a little bit of time, a little bit of practice. Once you put that in, you'll be ready to go. So lastly, I do have my son here. I am waiting for him to wake up. But uh, he might wake up during this segment because he does get fired up when uh, we do have Trump on the screen. Uh, Make America Great Again. It's our Make America Great Again segment. If you're not... Uh, down to make America great again, you can turn the podcast over uh, off right now. It is over for you guys. Um, but for those who want to make America great again, last point, I don't know what's going to happen with this healthcare thing. They're going to have a vote on it today. I'm open for the, my stocks uh, that they can work out a deal and get something like this pushed through because uh, if the healthcare doesn't get pushed through, it, it really brings into question whether these dumb GOP guys will ever agree on a tax a plan or an infrastructure plan or a, a deregulation plan, uh, if they can't agree on health care, which they, they seem to have been in agreement, uh, everybody seems to be on an agreement, not just uh, GOP, but everybody seems to be in agreement that health care has gotten more expensive. It's Every time I talk to a doctor about health insurance, they, they open up like you wouldn't believe uh, and they, they hate the system. They hate how it's gone. I mean, they hated it before and now it's gotten even worse. So everybody seems to agree, uh, but now <laughs> when time comes to pass something, uh, they can't do it. And so I worry, you know, everybody agrees our taxes should be lower. Everybody agrees our roads should be fixed. But when the time comes to actually do something, uh, <laughs> I worry that these idiots uh, don't get anything done. And idiots is everybody except Donald Trump because he has some great ideas. He's trying to push an agenda forward that I think uh, – just look at the stock market has spurred a lot of, uh, you know, animal spirits, bullish thoughts. Um, you know, the market loves his ideas. And so obviously I'm on board as well. But one of his ideas that uh, has gotten a lot of flack is kind of this illegal immigration, build the wall. And, you know, quite frankly, I can't say that I'm... Uh, you know, I haven't cringed a time or two when uh, he's talked about this stuff because he really isn't politically correct at all when he talks about building a wall, keeping Hispanic illegal immigrants out, mainly Hispanics and Muslims and guys like that and guys and girls like that. Hey, you know, he's not at politically correct at all about it, but he does have some good points. And one of the points that often is brought to me is, you know, in ter- especially in terms of building the wall and having immigrants come here um, is... They come here and they pick our fruit. So the, the, it's well known that migrant workers come up from Mexico, come here, pick the fruit. Uh, we put them in these, these, you know, put them in 10 to a room, little apart, basically like an apartment complex uh, next to, or a trailer next to the farm. And there's like 10 cars out there. There's like 10 geoprisms and, a, a, and a ranger pickup trucks. 
and a bunch of $1,000 cars parked outside and uh, 10 people to a room inside. We pay them uh, ridiculously low wages, no benefits or anything like that, no path to citizenship. It's just cut right to work visa and send you back or you're supposed to go back. We pay him no money, no health care, no advancement, no here's, you know, a way, you know, here's some college courses on the side. Certainly somebody that came here and picked fruit could do that if they wanted to. But, you know, could they enroll in a junior college? Could they enroll in uh, online courses? I don't know. Maybe they need a social security card for it. Maybe they need a credit card and a bank account. And it's kind of hard to get when you're an illegal immigrant worker here. And so the argument is, let's bring these guys here so I pay $1.99 for my fruit at the stand instead of $3.99. Because if the Mexican workers didn't come here, who's going to pick the fruit? I think that's wrong. Forgive me if I want to pay more for my fruit if the guy gets actual chance. So don't let people out there, especially the liberal media and the liberals out there, they're going to tell you, oh, we need to let these Mexicans come in across the border so they can come pick our fruit and come clean our hotel rooms so I don't have to pay more. Well, that's the selfish, most selfish thing I've ever heard. I'd gladly pay uh, t three times, four times, five times as much for my fruit at the store. Gladly would if it meant the guy was getting a livable wage, he didn't have to sleep 10 to a room, maybe there was some kind of path to citizenship here, path to getting an education so he wasn't a $2 an hour worker his whole life, his or her whole life, had to work in deplorable conditions. Maybe it's raining, mosquitoes, bees, whatever it is, not really honeybees really, um, but these people work in terrible conditions, are paid low wages, not even really a livable wage, are often uh, dumped into like trailers and little properties that I'm sure aren't that, that, that are not like Hotel Aria Casino, uh, Vidara Hotel, Five Star, Five Diamond Resorts inside. Trust me, I've never been inside one of these places, but I can imagine what it looks like inside. I'm sure it's not always terrible, but I, I don't support cheap labor, cheap free labor. I really don't. If you're going to have cheap free labor, have it be the people in prison. We got, uh, you know, I don't know what the numbers is, but it's probably millions of people in prison. Get those idiots out there picking the fruit for 10 cents an hour. If you, wanna, if you don't want to pay $3.99, $4.99 a pound. Instead, we, we literally have slaves. They're just Mexican now. America has slaves, and there's a party out there that really, like, glorifies, like, wants you to believe that it's good. It's good that we have these Mexicans come here to make 10 cents an hour. No, it's not good. It's not good for them. It doesn't work. It doesn't work out for their kids. They come here, they have kids, and then you get a president like Donald Trump that comes, that gets elected, and he'll kick the dads and moms out. And hey, that's, you know... I think it's fair. That's the law. That's the rules. If those are the rules, sorry. 
Personally, I think there's a deeper problem there. Too long this country has relied on slave labor, literally, especially in the agriculture industry. It's relied on slave labor, and we got to get away from that unless it's prisoners, unless it's guys from San Quentin. I mean, I don't think I want to, you know, the rapists and murderers can stay in their cell. But there's plenty of idiots sitting there on a cot all day flipping their thumbs. Get them out in the field and pay them nothing. I'm for that. Or I'm for paying $3.99, $5.99, $10.99 a pound. I don't care what it is. I'll pay more if that's what, you know, I like fruit. I like eating fruit. It's healthy. It's good for you. I'll pay more. I don't care. I don't think that, you know, cheap fruit, cheap clothing, cheap stuff should be an excuse to pay someone, bring someone here uh, temporarily and pay them no money, basically, give them no opportunity. Just, oh, come here and pick our fruit and you're supposed to leave and go back. It's ridiculous. It's more ridiculous than saying, I'm going to build a wall, quite frankly. At least I, I can get that idea. It's like, okay, we want to keep people out that aren't citizens of this country, that aren't contributing, that really we don't give a path to contribute. You're supposed to go to a sanctuary city and hide out and hope ice doesn't come bang on your door. What kind of life is that? I'd rather them not be given that opportunity at all. Certainly, there's people in Mexico that are thriving. It's not completely a, a war. It's certainly not a war-torn country down there. It's not like they have civil wars or all this stuff, you know, going on that you have, like, going on in the Middle East. Or in North Korea, you have a crazy leader. That's, that's not what's happening in Mexico. They have their own agriculture and their own things, and certainly car companies and all kinds of industry has moved down there. And Mexico has their own economy. And I'm for people coming to this country, but I want to give them an opportunity to live the American dream, not go pick my asparagus so I don't have to pay $3.99. I mean, it's usually $3.99 a pound, but so I don't have to pay $7.99 a pound. It doesn't make any sense. So, I, uh, you know, as we move through the years of Donald Trump's presidency, there's always going to be a negative backlash to a lot of his ideas, including building a wall. And I totally understand that. It's a polarizing type of uh, proposition. But just dig deeper. I just urge all you guys listening, dig deeper into the issue. The people that come here from Mexico primarily come here and are basically forced to do slave labor, or that's the only opportunity we give them. Oh, you want to come to America? Okay, pick our fruit. That's not right. I'd much rather say, don't come here. Don't come here unless you have a, a desire to go get a college degree, a desire to be a doctor, an engineer, a scientist, uh, or, or, or contribute to industries that we don't have enough of, or you, you, you want to be a small business owner. Maybe you started a small business in Mexico, and now you're looking to expand to America. 
You've got, you know, you've got uh, a tortilla, you know, business in, in Mexico. Now you want to bring that up here. You got a craft beer operation in Mexico. Now you want to bring it here in America. Those are the type of people we should bring to America, not the slave labor. It's not 19, you know, 40 anymore in the United States. It's 2017. I don't think we should be supporting this anymore. I don't care if my fruit triples in prices, quadruples in prices, or limes go away, or Patron tequila goes away. I'll deal with it. I'll deal with it. If it means that we can start getting people coming into this country that are given a great opportunity, that are actually given an opportunity. We are not giving these people opportunities. It's exactly like loading up a bunch of Africans on a boat and bringing them over here, except now, oh, we're paying them. Oh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure on the plantations they had places for black people to stay. I'm pretty sure food was made for them. I'm pretty sure some of them maybe even made a, a, a two pennies a day or a penny a day. I don't know that for a fact. But that's basically what you got going on now. I think it's wrong. I think it's stupid. The media and left-wing politicians are going to tell you, oh, no, we need to let these people in and give them no opportunity, no path to citizenship, no path to getting an education, no path to contributing to society other than go out into a field. It's a joke, absolute joke. And being out here in Northern California, one of the most fertile places in the world, again, I, like I said, I've never been into one, one of these places where I see 20 cars parked outside, but I drive by them every single day. I live, you know, four blocks from acres and acres and acres and acres of farmland. So it's an issue that I'm particularly sensitive to. And I think some rethinking of our policy there is needed. And I think building a wall is getting people to think about it, but uh, just not deep enough. Too many people are saying, oh, that's racist, that's, uh, that's this and that. Well, shit, look how we treat these people. Quite frankly, I'd rather turn them away at the border than bring them over here, give them no opportunity, they have kids, and now, you know, their kids are kind of in limbo. Their parents can be yanked away or, or whatever, deported. It's just a bad situation. I think we could fix it. I think we could use our prisoners as slave labor. If you commit a crime in this country and you're uh, convicted or guilty of that, I think you, you deserve to have rights taken away from you, and you do. You're put in a cell, and you're not allowed to go out. I do see them picking up trash on the side of the road every once in a while, and there's maybe some states, uh, maybe, maybe in California, I'm not aware of, that these guys do go out and pick fruit, but I think that's a far better alternative than saying, oh, we're going to let the uh, you know, right-to-work visas uh, come in from Mexico to come pick our aguave or pick our oranges or pick our apples every year and tell them to go back. I don't think it's right. I think we, sh you know, those people should be uh, encouraged to start businesses, start, um, you know, different things in Mexico, and bring them to the U.S. Bring your skills to the U.S. 
picking fruit is not a skill. It's basically a forced labor, slave labor. And, uh, you know, once, once the, uh, Mexico gets tired of sending their labor here, once those guys find a better opportunity, who's going to come pick it? We're going to, you know, all of a sudden start shipping in Indians or Chinese or, you know, people from Syria or whatever. We're going to get the refugees to start picking our fruit. I mean, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. So that's one way I think we can make America great again. We could start treating everybody uh, and give everybody an opportunity for the American dream or say, no, don't come here. Either you're bringing your, you're bringing your skills here, you're bringing your, your, your business, your expertise here, or don't come here. That's right. My son agrees with me. And he's kind of squirming around here. So that means it's the end of the show. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks for hanging with us on the show. Thanks for the encouragement, uh, the emails, the tweets, the Facebooks, the whole thing. I, I certainly appreciate it. Um, it's certainly, it's been a little bit quiet in the hobby, I'll be honest. Uh, there hadn't been a ton. If there was like a really pressing issue, probably would have had a podcast. There wasn't a ton of pressing issues, but I have been busy. I'll, I'll definitely certainly be busy going forward, but... Um, Eventually, I'm going to have an office set out kind of, uh, you know, in my, it's like a little room essentially in my garage um, that looks out on my backyard. It's actually pretty nice. Um, so I'm going to move myself out there at some point. So I might have a little more privacy to do these, um, but uh, I doubt it. I'm going to have uh, a little one running around here uh, for the foreseeable future, that's for sure. Uh, so, uh, time might, you know, I, I don't know when I'll do another one of these, but I certainly appreciate everybody hanging with us. Um, everybody tuning in when we do have them. I hope everything's going well, uh, for everybody out there. Hopefully you guys are hitting it big on your breaks. Um, and certainly, um, hitting it big on check on my cards. I get a lot of, uh, people, people's feedback about check on my cards. And I've seen a lot of people, um, start to do well or maybe have that open up as something that they're doing. And so I think that's pretty cool. And if you have any tips or any suggestions for me, you can always get at me at sportscardshow at gmail.com. You can hit me on Twitter at sportscardradio. Don't expect me to be nice to you on Twitter because that's not what I do. But if you send me an email, I'll be nice to you. If you send me Facebook, I'll be nice to you. But um, on Twitter, I'm like, you know, you got to be a little bit like, you got to have, you know, that's, you got to have people really love you or really hate you. That's really what you need to do, uh, especially in entertainment, especially with these podcasts as well. Uh, if you have a podcast out there or you're thinking about starting one, you know, go one of those two routes. Don't try to play it down the middle. Either be the biggest brown noser in the world, which most people end up doing, or be the complete D-I-C-K and uh, people will love it. See, my son loves it too, so I better get going. Uh, as he is probably getting ready for a diaper change. So until then, till next time, hopefully you guys are all doing well. Thanks for tuning in. We are out of here.